you know, life is all about experiences and, and, you know, meeting people and sharing their stories and, and it can only help but increase understanding and respect of others. Um, you know, we get to appreciate the similarities and the differences and, you know, all of that makes us stronger as a global community. Listening to the NZPE Teacher Cast, a podcast sharing some of the inspirational stories from amazing teachers and educators within New Zealand and around the world. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With automated self-grading quizzes after every video, My Study Series ensures students receive immediate feedback on their level of understanding. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Kia ora everyone and welcome to episode 20 of the NZPE Teacher Cast. It's not often I get to interview an educator from a different country, so I jumped at this recent opportunity. If you have a Twitter account, today's guest really needs no introduction. Andrew Mill, also known as Carmel Health on Twitter, is a health and PE teacher currently teaching in the United States. He is doing amazing things within the health domain, so I think plenty of our listeners are going to be excited about this one. So, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on, Carl. Now, it's what, what time is it in the USA? <laughs> it's just coming up to three in the morning, oh but this is, uh, this is perfect time for you and I to talk. Uh, the family are asleep. I'm hidden down here in the basement, and uh, we can talk freely without you know my three and my five year old running around and being terrors. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you um, setting your alarm and, and getting up early, even though you are on summer holiday. So I don't feel um, as bad for you um, now, but um, it's so it's eight p.m. New Zealand time, so I'm just getting ready for for my evening. Can you can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience, and a few tidbits about your school and the students you teach? Yes, yeah, certainly. So, um, as you can tell from the accent, I'm not originally from America. I uh, I'm from London, England, and I taught in three separate schools back home in England. I started off at a small school, 850 kids, um, very working class, uh, very under-resourced, and slowly kind of worked my way through different schools all in London and ended up at a a big all-boys private school. Um, Kids were from 7 to 18, 1,250 boys, and that was the dream school for me. You know, it was rugby, it was cricket, uh, rowing, um, and then I kind of picked up the basketball, um, athletics, track and field type of uh, activities. And that was, I would have been there for the rest of my life until I, uh, I bumped into an American girl in a, in a venue in London. And one thing led to another. And I quit the dream job, sold the car, sold the house, and moved away from friends and family and started all over again here in Chicago, um, which was a brave move um, considering that uh, my academic experience is, is alien to Americans. We don't have GPAs or majors and minors and transcripts. I wasn't an alum. I didn't play American football or baseball. So I really went from being well-respected and well-known back home in England to having to start all over again and slowly clawing my way back. And, uh, and three schools later, I now find myself in the most amazing school, 4,000 students over two campuses, very well-resourced. It's still a, just a, a regular high school 
but in a very affluent area. So you would be considered, you could be forgiven for thinking it was a private school. Um, it's very uh, liberal in its thinking. It's very forward thinking. And the school encourages us as teachers to take risks and try new things as long as it's in the best interest of the children. So the move paid off and I really am now at the school that I want to finish my career with. That's 4,000 students. That is a significant amount of students to be within one school. Um, how, how do you how do you cope? Like, you know, relationships are so important in education, but there's no way you could remotely know even half of those students. No, you're right. Um, it's a big school. We're very mindful of the fact that um, obviously students can fall through the, the cracks. So we have an advisory system. We're quite unique in that respect. And the start of every day, I guess it's similar to a form tutor type thing back home. Um, so my first period of the day is 40 minutes with a group of young men. Um, I have 25 boys that I picked up as sophomores, so they would have been 15. Um, I did a home visit prior to them coming to the school. So I met the, the, the students in their family environment and got to talk about their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations. Um, and then I stay with that group of boys until they graduate. So over time, I get to know them. I get to help shape their academic uh, selection and then um, put together references for college. So there's 25 boys who are assigned to me, so I've always got their best interests at heart. If there's an academic concern or a behavioral issue, um, teachers can come to me first. And because I know the student and I know their, their, their background, maybe I can explain behaviors or you know the way that students are, are acting so um yeah i'd like to think that we do a very good job at making sure that there is at least one adult who has um the the, the kids best interest close close to heart yeah it's it's really easy to focus on you mentioned slipping through the gaps and and one thing i i was always told as a young teacher was mind the middle you know we're so uh, wary of our top end and our, our our bottom end but those kids in the middle need just as much attention as as those as as our end, end points which is um but so what you described there sounds um like a really powerful uh, approach in terms of pastoral care for for all of your students so that's um really nice to hear yeah i've got a quick question about chicago um <laughs> I, i'm i'm uh i grew up watching the bulls the chicago bulls oh, yeah. and i'm yeah. a big i'm a massive pippin fan but um, I, I always assumed that it was the Windy City because it's windy there, but I was in a conversation with um, John Bergman at a conference in Melbourne a few years ago, and he tells me, no, it links back to the hot air bellowing out of the mouths of the politicians. Is, is that a true story? This is the, tr this is the true story, yes. Yeah, it's, it's the hot air. Um, I was in the city just recently, and, uh, and it is particularly windy. The, the wind comes off of Lake Michigan, and the way the city is, is constructed those uh, long avenues really can funnel the wind. But no, you're right. And like you, I mean, I grew up in that era of the Bulls. Um, I actually uh, taught Scotty, one of Scotty Pippen's daughters. Um, oh, are you I, kidding I, me? Seriously? Oh, it, hey, it gets better. Um, I had the grandson in class whose grandfather owned the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago White Sox. And when the Bulls play at home, you can see this kid sitting next to Scotty Pippen so I'll tweet him live in the middle of the game and have a bit of banter as he's sitting next to Scottie Pippen. Um, and then, and, and it was that era of the John Hughes movie. So for me, being in my early 40s, growing up watching Ferris Bueller, Pretty in Pink, 16 Candles, I, you know, if, when I drive to school and some of those movies were filmed in the community in which I teach, if I put some 
psychedelic furs on um, or some simple minds honestly i'm ferris bueller in the morning it's i'm living the dream <laughs> um i'm jealous mate i've i've got all the pippin jerseys i've got his dream team jersey um the, the, the geek inside me had i've got like 400 different basketball cards of scotty pippin um wow. the dude is amazing um one day one day i'll get there and, and watch right. an nba game but um still haven't done that yet Hey, before we go any further, I, I just want to acknowledge a massive personal achievement of being named National Health Teacher of, of the Year, and I think you must be extremely proud, but at the same time humbled by the award. What was the process you went through for this award, and, and how did it feel as you edged closer and closer to winning that big one? So, the, yeah, the way they do it over here is um, the governing body that, that control PE, health, and dance is Shape America, and um, so the, the situation is you can apply or be nominated to be considered as a, as a teacher of the year in your local district. So Chicago, Illinois is broken up into six different districts, I think. So you win that district, and then of those six, you get put in a, you know, up, and they take the best one um, for Illinois teacher of the year. So I got Illinois teacher of the year, and I thought, okay, that's pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> the next step was Midwest teacher of the year. So they take uh, I think there's six states in the Midwest, so each health teacher from the states gets put forward. And I have to admit, that was the one I was I was gunning for. Um, I thought, you know, that would be a, a, quite a nice achievement. And uh, and I got Midwest Health Teacher of the Year. And once you've got that far, you know, you you have to go even further. Yeah. So then each of the regions, and again, I think there's six regions in America, um, the health teachers get put forward. And the process is. Um, uh, references. So I had a reference from my head of department and from another coworker, and long essay questions to four or five different questions. Uh, so you had that at Illinois level, then you had that at the Midwest level, and then once you got to state level, you had to film yourself teaching. You had to film wow. a forty-minute lesson and, and break down what it is you were teaching and you know why you taught that. And then there was also an online panel of interviews as well. Um, so it's quite a lengthy process. Um, there's no way that you can say that you, at the end of it, you found the best classroom teacher. Um, so they take into account lots of other things as well. Um, and yeah, it was a very emotional, um, emotional situation when they called my name at a big gala dinner um, in Boston. Uh, there were the, the five of us who were up for the award for the national award were sitting at the table, and and they pull a name out of an envelope. It's like a you know an Oscars <laughs> award and. I came up on stage and I, I burst into tears and uh, and thanked everybody and and it was the the move to America has been tough at times and I bet, uh, I and I and I think this was kind of affirmation that everything that I had done and the sacrifices I'd made uh, to you know to put my career sometimes ahead of my family when you know <laughs> and maybe that might not have been the right thing to do I felt like it was I was ju- it was justified. Um, and you're right. It's it's very very humbling, and and I, I'm honoured. And I, all, all I hope is that it gives my voice a bit more power, so that when I talk about health in the classroom and I talk about the the concerns of health teachers, I'd like to think that people listen a little bit more closely than before. I I, I think people already do listen to you, mate. But you're right. That that's going to give you. Um, it just gives you a lot more authority in in your learning area, and and that award is it's it's a massive achievement, mate. You, um, I'm stoked for you. <laughs> Thank you. Did they? Um, was there any sort of any any reward for you? Not that that matters, but was it just a trophy or, or anything else along the lines? Uh, of- so so one of the sponsors is uh, sponsors of the award is Spark Sport Time. So I think I'm uh, I, I, if you need tennis balls, I'm your man. I can get you a twenty five percent discount for life. Um, 
on top of that, there's, we actually get some nice stash. So there's uh, there's some polo shirts and it's kind of little three-quarter zips that we can wear and we have access to that for life, uh, plus a plaque and a certificate and um, invitations to various conferences. And uh, I've been flown this summer already uh, as a result of, of taking that award. I was flown out to Washington, D.C., um, to visit the Capitol and present at a conference out there with other teachers of the year. And then Spark flew me out to San Diego this summer and uh, I presented. No, I, I got to just partake in a conference out there and enjoy San Diego life. So um, a trip to the East Coast and the West Coast was thrown in as well. So, yeah, wow. that's, there's a few perks. That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> so you talked about your experience um, teaching in the UK and now in the US. So uh two kind of, I guess, contrasting curriculums there. So in, in, in terms of the way that each of these countries choose to implement their curriculum, what's been a standout or a highlight for you? Um, I'm in a very fortunate situation. Um, each of the states are different when it comes to their views of PE and health. Um, and here in Illinois, um, it's compulsory that kids get daily PE until they graduate at 18 so I see my students uh, for 40 minutes a day um, uh, right through until they're 18, uh, which is outstanding, obviously. Um, and my students also get health as freshmen and sophomores as well. So they, they get two, two uh, sets of health before they graduate. That's not the same in, um, in some states. And some states, you know, they don't even have to do compulsory PE. Um, I get often asked, you know, what's what's better, America or, or England? And, and there are strengths in both uh, both setups. But at the end of the day, it's it's the kids are kids and kids demand and they need good teachers that care for them and they're well trained and they plan great lessons. Um, so kids, kids really are kids. Um, I'm happy where I am. I get to teach more PE. Um, I think we're, we're guided by Shape America that have a great set of guidelines Um but at the same time, I have to be mindful that my experience isn't the same as everybody else's experience. And the more I travel and the more I go to other conferences and hear of PE teachers who are paid poorly, who are treated badly, have class sizes. Um, I mean, some of my elementary counterparts will say that they've got over 100 kids in a classroom or even outside and are expected to, to cope with that with one teacher. So my experience is different, um, but I think I'm in a position, you know, as we talked about just a minute ago, for people to listen to me and so I can advocate for others to have a better, you know, a better situation. Yeah, we, I think that that whole culture thing, um, it must have been really difficult at the start, transitioning from um, one country to another. Um, and, and, and you're right around some of those challenges that Fazed has. You know, we, we deal with it here that, we, despite being an academic subject, we're, we're seen as not too academic and, and we become a bit of a dumping ground at times for yeah. students who don't have anything else. And that's cool. I, you know, I love accepting in these kids into your classroom who, you know, they don't have a lot in life and we can have a positive impact on that. But also we, you know, we value our learning area and we want to be taken seriously. And, and that's yeah. I guess some of the challenges that we have in New Zealand. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've even been following what's been going on. Um, is it down in Dunedin recently? And uh, Yeah, man, that's massive. You guys. And, and, and I think that that's kind of part of that whole concept of being a globally connected educator is to know what's going on. You know, the fact that I'm aware of, of you know, that Otago is, is lowering its numbers and, its, and I guess its expectations of, of phys ed teachers. Um, I don't know if that 
impacts my teaching and my day-to-day life with my students but i think it's 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 kind of cool that i am aware of what's going on down in new zealand um you know just through facebook and and, and twitter etc yeah yeah well, it segues nice and in, in, into the next question so what what is the attraction for you to see and travel the world like you have in your teaching career um yeah, so I, I'm fortunate in that I taught in England. I taught uh, here in the States. I've also coached basketball or been involved in tournaments in Barcelona in Spain, Athens in Greece, uh, and Cairo in Egypt. And then when I visited New Zealand, um, I also got to run a session at a school down there as well. So I've, I've taught or coached on four continents, which sounds more impressive than I think it is. <laughs> um, but for me, you know, life is all about experiences and, and, you know, meeting people and sharing their stories and, and it can only help but increase understanding and respect of others. Um, you know, we get to appreciate the similarities and the differences and, you know, all of that makes us stronger as a global community um, to just be aware of different cultures and different religions, um, you know, so that they don't seem alien, um, that, that you can show respect for them. Um, Travel is, is, is so important, um, and uh, if there's ever an opportunity for me to travel or encourage others to travel, I mean, you talked about Chicago. If you were passing through, you're more than welcome to come and stay here, mm-hmm. and I've benefited from that in my life. I've, 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 as a result of friendships, I've been invited to Egypt and to Greece and to New Zealand, um, so if I can reciprocate in any way, it only seems fair. Yeah, and I was asked this question in um, a previous episode um of the nzpe teacher cast because i'm obviously heading to dubai in october and and celia asked me you know what i was hoping to kind of get from that and you know it, it came back to culture as well and just wanting to know about the way other people teach and what drives other people to educate our young people and and stuff like that and you just i mean you can that's all we can get that in New Zealand and I can talk to other teachers and, and find that out but it's not the same as being in a new country where teachers are teaching around a different curriculum and they have different um, yeah. goals and experiences so it, it is it is quite powerful and you know, travel is, was never something that was big for me um, but as I've kind of begun teaching it's um, meeting all these new people and being able to learn from them I think is um, really really exciting and you're obviously um, your experiences and and what you're doing around health is um, you're doing some big things and it's um, I want to say I'm I'm jealous of what you get to do but that's probably not the right word but um, (laughs) but we can be guilty of living in a bubble you know especially my students as well I'm I'm sure the kids in Auckland you know think that Auckland is the be all and end all and then, you know, you step outside of that, I don't know, you visit the South Island and, and you know, you realize that things are different. They're the same, but they're different. And, and it can only make you a better individual. Mm. Mm. So if we say that a globally competent student is one who, who can investigate the world and, and weigh perspectives and interact with diverse audiences and, and take action, how can we foster that within the classroom to ensure our youth value cultures outside of their own? So, like, how can you take that kid in Auckland who thinks that, it's the be all and end all and ensure that they're valuing other cultures and societies well the one question that i found myself uh, i asked myself recently was you know why is it that my curriculum is dominated by american and english team games um you know when i taught in england and when i taught here you know here in the states it's predominantly the same team games that exist and i have to ask myself you know what am i hoping to teach and if if i'm if i'm looking at i know movement on a games field 
and throwing and catching and, and losing a defender. And if I'm doing that in flag football or ultimate frisbee, can't I do that in Tapaway or Kirahi? Mm. And and I think it's important for teachers to to look to other cultures and see what other games are out there. You're still teaching the same things and the same skills, but you start introducing activities from different cultures. And and I find it a great leveler as well. You know, students come to class thinking. I'm really good at ultimate frisbee because I've got this experience, but you know, none of them have played tap away before until they come to my class. So then everybody has to start at ground level, um, in the classroom, in the health classroom. Um, I'll get students to perhaps ask questions about race and health and social justice. Maybe look at, um, health statistics between African Americans and white, white, uh, populations, you know, the same in the States. I wonder if there's, differences in health statistics between Maori and Pacifica kids compared to Pākehā kids and you know ask those questions why is that is it a cultural thing it certainly isn't a genetic thing is it a social thing so once they start asking those questions then I think they start to look a little bit further afield Um, and then you know if we we then bounce that to teachers as well I think it's important for teachers to um, to certainly on social media to make sure that their PLN, the people that they follow are more than just the, themselves. You know, it needs, it, it should be like echo chamber. They should be looking at people uh, from across the world as well. I, I found myself, you know, really diving into Twitter a couple of years ago um, and, and thinking to myself, wow, this is such a vibrant conversation. But when I go to bed, is this the same on the Southern Hemisphere? So I then started to look at Aussies and Kiwis and see what they were talking about overnight and saw that it's exactly the same. There's this Southern Hemisphere Twitter world where they're all chatting. So now I get to dip into that as well. And, and then I'm more enriched as a teacher by listening to uh, what's being said by my counterparts in the Southern Hemisphere and following like the NZ HPE chat and just you know listening to people like Celia and Georgia Doughty, Mallory Bish, and see what they're doing in the classroom and, and, you know, and, and asking them, you know, to explain more. Um, uh, I've lost my track slightly. Oh yeah. So, um, I, I, I run a, a podcast project once a year where I get voices from across the globe and I, 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 I pass out questions, um, through Google document and get teachers from around the world to get their students to just record their audio answers to questions about, what's life as a teenager and what's he- what does health mean to you and you know you and your peers and when my american kids hear um uh, i know australians and and new zealanders talking about obesity and lack of activity and poor diets you know they almost glaze over but when you hear female voices from saudi arabia say um we can't go to the gym because we need a male chaperone to take us because we're not allowed to drive legally and when we go to the gym it has to be a female only gym and they're more interested in how we dress and how we present ourselves than what we're doing as a, you know in our workout that's where my kids jaws open you know and drop because they can't believe that there are young female teenagers out there whose life is so restricted so just exposing them to voices from around the world is a great opportunity for kids and teachers alike to you know enrich the classroom yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask that. Um, how how open the American youth are to hearing about uh, the cultures from outside of their country? Because we have this perce- perception or stereotype of Americans being so patriotic and um, so caught up in in their own country because it's so big. Um, but they are open to stuff like that. 
Yeah, well, they are certainly if you if you provide that for them. Um, I'm not going to say that all teachers and all classrooms are the same as mine, uh, and maybe because of my my experience, I'm giving a slightly different you know a, a classroom experience for my for my own students. But I mean, recently, I did a podcast project where um, I, I teamed up with a, a school in Tasmania, and we um, talked a little bit little bit about um, decision making in health. And I got my students to record their thoughts, and we shipped that out to the the guys in Tasmania. Who then did an audio reflection back so if there's teachers out there right now who are thinking i want to make that next step i really want my students to get involved i'd, I'd urge them to to certainly contact me and see if there's any way in which i can collaborate my goal of last year uh, was collaborate that was that was the thing i wanted to focus on the most and for me collaborate meant not just these conversations i'm having with you you know and other educators around the world but for my students as well to collaborate outside of the four walls of the classroom into the community and beyond including overseas so yeah if you're a teacher listening please you know drop me a line and, and i'm sure we'll share my contact details and i'd, I'd happily um get involved with your kids and my kids put them together i guarantee there's um there's <laughs> at least a dozen kiwi teachers right now writing down this idea um that uh, something as simple as gathering thoughts from students and shipping them across the world and hearing back and and sharing those, comparing and contrasting those experiences, uh, it's a fantastic idea. Now you mentioned your your podcast projects. Um, that, yeah. I think that was actually the first time I was I had anything to do with you. It must have been about two thousand and twelve, I think. And I, I I saw you doing this. Do you have another one coming up soon? When's the next one happening? The next one, well, I believe it's the back end of September. There is something called International Podcast Day, and, and I love to podcast. Yeah, I think I think podcasting is a great way um, to to just invigorate your classroom and, and get students energized. Um, if you've got students writing reflections, well, essentially you've now got a script in front of you, and if you can get a group of students together and shape that that script, and then you you ask them to record it into audio. If you tell kids that you're going to put that online. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll have an A-grade piece of work and they'll say, wait, you're going to share it online? Give it back to me. I want to make it a little bit better. <laughs> um, so just today, I, I visited a, a high school and, and was reading through um, a school magazine and there was a great little social justice cartoon and I thought, this is awesome. I took a photograph of it and I, and I posted it on Twitter and already it's been shared in New Zealand. You know, so how awesome for that sophomore student who mm. just turned something in for the school magazine. So now it's got a global audience. Um, so, yeah, so International Podcast Day is in September um, and I always love to have Australian and, and, and New Zealand voices on there as well. But I've had Saudi Arabia, I've had England, China, Korea, um, oh, gosh, Argentina, um, so yeah, always looking for fresh young teenage voices to just <laughs> just tell it as it is. Tell us the truth about yeah. what it's like being a teenager and and how have we as the adults really mess things up for them and how they're going to change the world. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be able to find a few teenagers for you. <laughs> so you manage and run the Slow Chat Health website and Twitter chat. Can you tell us a bit about what this entails and why myself and my Kiwi counterparts and those from other areas of the world why they should be joining up? So I'm very mindful of the fact that health teachers are very much in the minority. I'm a PE teacher at heart. You know, I, I, I became a PE teacher back home in England. I'm very comfortable in a tracksuit, and I think that's where, you know, that, that's my, my calling. Um, but over here, I've been seen as a, as a health specialist. And, occasionally, you know, often you can be the only health teacher in the building or even the district, 
PE people can be loud and, and boisterous and, and because they, 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 they're, they're the loudest, they get heard first. So I just wanted an opportunity for health teachers to come together and just amplify their voice, share their thoughts and experiences, and maybe share what works for them. Um, I'll give a shout out to Justin Schleider who had slow chat PE um, and that came first and that definitely motivated me. And the whole premise is that there's a regular blog post and then the Twitter chat is a slow chat. So we'll write a blog post and there'll be a different question every day and we drip feed that out and we just get the conversation going. Um, and like I said, it, it's never supposed to be my voice. Um, I, I write nearly all of the blog posts, but certainly this year I've had more and more guest bloggers um, of a really good caliber as well. I, th I think I worked out that five of them, not including myself, had picked up um, education awards this year. Um, so I'm getting some great health teachers um, sharing their, their, their good ideas. Their good ideas. Georgia Doughty, um, you know, as, as you've had on the on the podcast yourself, is an outstanding young health professional, and uh, she wrote about the concept of horror. And uh, you know, for my my American counterparts, you know, we might teach the health triangle or uh, the concept of wellness, but to understand that there are different cultures that still approach health in a similar way. Um, but present it in a different way. I think that that makes us a better teacher. Um, I, I recently said that teaching was all about layers, and my pedagogy is sound, and my my content knowledge is you know is very very good. But all those extra things I do, like I read and I blog and I and I watch documentaries, it just adds layers and enriches me as a teacher. So that I feel like when I go into the classroom, I'm so much more confident. <clears throat> how, how do you? How many years have you been teaching now? Goodness, I think it might be 21, 22 years, two countries, six different schools. So <laughs> a lot so of experience. How do you maintain this level of engagement and action? I mean, that's, that's a lot of stuff to be doing, and we haven't even got to all of it yet. So how do you cope? It motivates me. Um, I'm mindful of the fact that I could potentially um, find a great set of lessons in a curriculum and be comfortable with that. And I could just teach that until I retire. Um, and, and I'm not going to lie. I'm sure there's teachers out there. You know, it's the equivalent of rolling out the ball in phys ed. You know, there's, there's teachers who are like that. And I can't imagine that they are satisfied with their classroom teaching. Now, maybe they find comfort elsewhere and perhaps they love their coaching. And maybe, you know, their teaching of health sometimes gets in the way. And I understand that. Um, I'm not coaching right now. I have I had coached up until I was like 40 and my, my kids came along and I decided not to coach anymore. So, so you know, just jumping on Twitter, having vibrant conversations, playing with uh, technology, but, you know, blogging, podcasting, making iMovies, all of this and teaching myself new skills keeps me excited and fresh. And I go back to school in a couple of weeks and I'm excited to, to you know, to, to do new things for the first time. I, I want to introduce role playing for the first time. So I really want to teach myself how to introduce that slowly and, and appropriately so that after nine weeks we can use role play as a way in which students can uh, practice their health skills effectively and repeat them over and over again. The, 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 the time, when the time comes that I don't feel excited to go back to school and when, the, when my 70-minute, 7-0-minute commute every morning starts to become a bind, then I know it's time for me to look elsewhere for another job. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point to make. Um, yeah, there's nothing worse than 
Um, going back to my student days, there's nothing worse than having a teacher who just doesn't want to be there. You know, you just yeah. can't you can't learn anything. You can't get excited about learning, and it just makes it um, really difficult. You've you've got a really fantastic initiative with the website sendateacher.com, which serves to to generate funding to allow teachers whose uh, schools lack the funding to get them to the the Shape Conference that you've talked about. And I think this is um, a really fantastic idea. How how did this come about? So I mentioned that the school I work at is a great school and uh, they actively encourage myself and other teachers to attend conferences and uh, present at conferences. And the more I go, um, the more stories I hear, the more I realize that I am very fortunate. You know, when I hear stories like um, I came to conference this year because it's my turn, Um, you know, I didn't come last year because somebody else had to come Um, or I've paid my own way to come to the conference and I've had to pay for a sub teacher to cover my lessons because my school won't wow. support me financially. That's, that feels bad to me because like we said, all teachers, all kids not only need well, tra- uh, well trained teachers, but they need their professional development to be up to date and they need to be supported by administration. So inspired by, you know, various teachers selling their own goods, I thought what a great opportunity to, to sell merchandise with a hundred percent of the profits going towards this pool of money that could then support teachers uh, to go to the national conference. So our national conference in the States was in Boston. Um, We raised enough money to send two teachers. So I reached out to Boston public schools um, and and Boston public schools doesn't have any money. And I said, you know, what great teachers do you have? And a couple of names were put forward and, uh, and they wrote me a little essay. And from that, I chose two teachers who attended the conference. Uh, Our next conference is in Nashville um, we're going to have enough money to send at least two, perhaps three uh, teachers this time around. Um, and it's a simple, it's a simple uh, idea. The, t- the t-shirts and sweatshirts are, are for health and PE teachers. They're designed by health and PE teachers. They're for us. Um, there's new designs coming in. I've got a, um, an exciting collaboration coming up with Super Better, the TED Talk and the book of the same name. And we're going to be selling some uh, merchandise with their, with their logo on as well. And yeah, if I can help put back, you know, give back to the teaching profession in any way I can, um, I, I want to do so. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm speechless, speechless around that. We don't over here. We don't get the the whole um, self-funded teachers teachers self-funding conference. But you hear every year, oh no, well, it's my turn to come this year, and yeah. Jimmy went last year, and and, and that's <laughs> yeah, that's not fair. So I think that's. That's amazing what you're doing, and uh, I, I actually, we've talked about this um, last week, but I'm gonna, I want to purchase a t-shirt and I want to give it away um, in this podcast episode or following this episode. So um, I, I, I'm trying to think of a way we could do it, and I think maybe just if um, if you retweet um, the 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 link <laughs> that I've tweeted out for this podcast episode, if you retweet that or um, leave. A, a review on iTunes of NZP TeacherCast, then um, I'll put you into the drawer. And what we'll do is um, I'll ship some money your way, Andy, and you'll be able to yeah. get that top back to me, and we can we can draw that out. And also, on on top of that, um, I really encourage Kiwi teachers or, or any teachers to head along to senderteacher.com. Um, but Kiwi teachers in particular, if, if there's anything there that um, looks cool and you and you want to pick up, we might try to arrange. A bit of a, a bit of a group order, and I'm happy to collect funds and um, ship that your way for some orders and, and get them back 
um, to New Zealand. So um, how does that sound? Yeah, that's a great idea. The, the, the shipping to, the, to New Zealand can be a little bit prohibitive with the method that we use. So I'll happily um, arrange some shipping. And yeah, I like the group order idea. And, and I'll, throw, I'll throw a couple of extra freebies in as well. Um, I've got some stickers. I've got some goodies from Chicago. So we'll make this a bumper pack. That sounds like a great idea. Right. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> hey, you're coming to the end of a three-month holiday. I don't know how you managed to pull that one off. Um, what has been your biggest win in those three months? Maybe let's go with an educational win and a non-educational related one. So as soon as school finished, we were out of school at 12 o'clock and uh, by 8 o'clock, the family were all on a flight back home to London uh, and we spent four weeks in England. And I always say this every every year and, I, and this is the advice I give to teachers is if you can switch off over the summer and spend quality time with your family, you sh- I urge you to do so. We can only be as good as we are in the classroom and as successful we are as educators with the support of our friends and family. Um, and, and at times we can be guilty of putting our craft first because we love the kids that we teach, but we have to put our family first. So three months with the family, um, summer vacations in America are longer than they are certainly back home in, in, um, in England. And the, the big construction project we had at school main, you know, meant that we had this long three months. So family time, well, I guess, would be the non-educational one. And then this was the summer I was going to switch off. You know, I won National Health Education Teacher <laughs> of the Year, and I was going to, you know, just switch off. And, and in that time, I've, I've been to two conferences. Um, I've read a ton of books and, and doc, watched documentaries. And if you follow the Slow Chat Health blog post, I've talked about that. I've recorded two podcasts um, but uh, and planned my curriculum for the for the time ahead. So family time has been my non-educational, and then my educational has just been devoting time to reading books and watching documentaries. Um, some are educational, some non-educational. But like I said, it just adds layers to my teaching. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. What well, uh, best best book that you've that you've read? Um, there's a book. There's a book called Nudge, which is all about subtly nudging uh, behavior. So I want to see how can I use nudges to nudge students to make more healthful choices in my classroom. Uh, I'm reading Super Better, which is all about living life gamefully. And I know you're a massive gamer, Carl, and you've you've inspired me. So I've also got the – there's X-Lap, so X like a pirate. So it's some kind of gamification like a pirate. Um, uh, So I just want to introduce that concept of leveling up and and motivating students to, to live a more gameful approach and applying that to their behavior. Nice. Can you quickly describe um, a nudge to me? So a nudge would be something like, um, uh, well, okay, so we would use nudges with behavior. We, we, um, we survey our students about uh, their, their health behaviors at school. It's called a youth risk behavior survey. And um, m- many of my students believe that uh, large numbers of kids are smoking marijuana right now, but actually that's not true. Um, so we use uh, posters that say, um, you know, 80% of students didn't smoke marijuana in the last 30 days. Um, and we all want to be like the majority. We all want, you know, we don't want to be the outsider. So although there's the cynical kids that say, oh, 80% didn't smoke, that means 20% did. But yeah, you're right. But we're letting you know that um, if you do choose to make a less healthy choice, you are in the minority. Um, so perhaps if you're thinking one way or the other, um, you know, and, and you, you might be easily swayed to make the non-healthy choice, this nudge might nudge you in the right direction. Mm. 
We and the reason I asked is we we have an issue at school, or we've had an issue in, in my department where um, we have a, a set of bleachers as they come through the door, and mm. what happens is um, they've got to walk past the bleachers to get to the changing rooms. But mm. of course, kids being kids, they get distracted and then they end up sitting on the bleachers, and and it, it adds another five ten minutes, which is really valuable time when you're teaching PE because they've got to get mm. changed at both ends of the lesson. Yeah. Um, and you know we could have address that head on and and you know got gotten on their case and keep off the bleachers um but instead of addressing it like that we decided that okay maybe we'd try to install some habits some positive habits so instead of saying mm. approach them like that we built habits around the way they enter the gym and changing uh some of the things that they were doing so not not directly saying to them we want you off the bleachers and going to get changed but just changing that's why I thought it was very similar to a nudge but installing these habits and we saw some really positive um, adjustments um, from the students students through that so that was um, and the good thing is the kids probably probably don't realise you've done that they don't realise that you've nudged them they think they're making free choices yeah yeah, exactly nudge theory is awesome (laughs) I might have to check that one out Last last question. You've you've spent some time in New Zealand. Um, where where did you spend your time, and what was a highlight for you while you were here? I came down to New Zealand and spent seven weeks down there. Um, I, I visited a good friend of mine uh, who now teaches at Pakaranga College in East mm-hmm. Auckland. So a big shout out to Billy Merchant, who's an assistant <laughs> headmaster down there. Um, and I and I stayed with him and his wife, and uh, mostly on the North Island. So I did the museum, Kelly Tarleton's Sea World. I jumped off Sky Tower. Um, saw the black sands of Piha, and then went down to Queenstown. I was blown away by Queenstown. I couldn't believe what a playground it was. Um, so I bungeed, I whitewater rafted, skydived, uh, parascended. Um, I skied on South Island as well. Uh, so I saw Coldplay play in Auckland. Um, I watched a rugby league game. Um, so I have very, very fond memories. And um, at every level of my my education, um, there is somebody from that that time who is now teaching in New Zealand. So Andrea Cameron, uh, hi to you. You're out in Fangarai, uh, teaching at Tarora Area College. And then my college roommate for three years, David Ferguson, is headmaster of Westlake Boys School in Auckland. So wow. I've, I've got friends down there. I, I promise my family we will definitely go and visit um, New Zealand and, and and check out what a beautiful country you have. Yeah, you've and you've done more in New Zealand than I have. So pick up Steve for that. Hey, um, you've. Yeah, I just want to thank you for for stopping by and well, not stopping by, setting your alarm and getting up at three a.m. in the morning. I, I think you're a madman, but um, this has been a, a really interesting chat and. Uh, I, I'm just blown away by some of your your achievements um, and the way you approach health in in a country and an educational system that is was new to you, um, and you've really taken it and run with it. And we see the stuff you do over and over again on Twitter and your slow chat, and now learning a little bit about um, the work you're doing with centerteacher.com, and it's um, it's it's really in, inspiring to see that even somebody who's had this much experience as you have is, is still, um, you know, pedal to the middle and, and going really hard in education. And a lot of us um, who might be feeling a bit stale in, in our teaching um, could really take a lot of inspiration from the stuff that you are doing. So um, I really do appreciate you stopping by and, and sharing your story with us. 
Well, thanks, man. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I love the, uh, the, the, the the chatty style that you have. I, I really look forward to listening to the guests that you have and, and to the, the New Zealand educators who are out there. Um, you know, know that the, the rest of the world is watching and uh, please share your, your good stuff. Please share the work that your students is do, are doing. Um, and, and I'll always put a plug in. If you want a guest blog on anything health related, I'll happily showcase your work and, and uh, give it to a global audience. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Carl.